I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often in hours. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one-day rule on its head and offer back-to-back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code DATABLE and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, USU, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Krafchick, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hello, Datables. Welcome to another episode of the Datable Podcast, where we are your dating sociologists, and we will examine, study, and dissect human behavior when it comes to dating and explain it all to you so we can navigate dating much better. That sounded so professional, so educational. We are so profesh. <laughs> you don't even know. I always <laughs> like that we say active daters turned dating sociologists, because I think that really sums it up, because we were both very much in the thick of things. But mm-hmm. you know, through this podcast alone, we've talked to, I mean, how many people? Like, we've talked thousands. to thousands of people. So that is the qualitative research that gives you sociology creds. Of course, we're not accredited yet, but someday. <laughs> we're accredited in the podcast world. That's yes. all that matters. 
<laughs> hey, if we can help you find your person, that's all the credentials we need. And I'm proud to say we have helped people find their people. So, you know, it's not like we're just talking BS here. People are finding their peoples through us. Yes. I remember like talking to Nikki Novo, one of our Mm -hmm. past guests, who is the medium. And I remember her talking about how I was the type of person that needed to watch before doing Mm. and that this podcast really suited me for doing it because it allowed me to really study and kind of dissect what I wanted and what I didn't want in a relationship, Mm. which would set me up for having the right relationship for myself. And I think like in retrospect, she was 100% correct because I feel like I'm able to reflect in ways that I 100% would never have if we weren't doing this podcast. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, you kind of want to see how other people have done it Mm -hmm. and maybe pave the way before you even want to try that direction. That makes sense. Exactly. I like that. She knew you so well. Learn from each other, (laughs) which learning from each other is exactly what we're doing today. I feel like we've been wanting to do this topic for a while, dating with a disability. And I'm so glad that we finally did it with our guest, Tiffany, who really shed light onto this topic. And I think she really expanded my definition as well of what a disability even means. I think we think of, you know, like physical disabilities, and it can go so, so much deeper to, you know, emotional, behavioral, like there's so many aspects of what a disability means. It does open your eyes, my eyes, all all of our eyes to talk about the subject. And I feel like now is the right time to talk mm-hmm. about this as well. I think everyone's very open to it. I remember I've had trainings about it too, even mm. in the workplace. So it's good that we're opening this up into the dating world. But I think a lot of us have gone on so many one date, two date kind of things that we haven't even gotten to the point of knowing someone's disabilities. Imagine all the people you have been on dates with and what they would have revealed to you if had it been date five or six. Mm -hmm. Because I think we think of like the things you can see. And as we go into it, a lot of it is, you know, some of it's mental health related and things that may not be on the surface of date one or two. Mm -hmm. Yes. So this is just a really good discussion to have to to just accept others Mm -hmm. a little bit more and to know that everyone has their own journey that they're going through. And it's really hard to judge someone based on a snap shot of their life that you are entering at. Yeah, I think I mean, obviously, for anyone that has a disability that they're dealing with, this episode will be incredibly powerful. But I think a lot of times when you're dating, it's kind of like you don't know what's going to get thrown your way, mm-hmm. have this image of who you'll end up with, you know, this person has been living a life for many, many years before you that you know, there's certain things that are going on for them that may not be in like the picturesque view of what you think your partner is going to look like, because we all are much deeper. We all have, you know, aspects of our personalities and just inherent traits that may not Mm -hmm. be like what is like listed on our dating profile per se, like the basics. Yes, yes. This is why it's so important to get to know people for who Mm -hmm. they are. And it's hard to do that based on dating profiles. And I get it. I just I spent all weekend with some single boys who are (laughs) navigating the dating scene and they're just telling me their dating woes and I get it. I mean, I totally understand why it can be so frustrating and hard and you don't understand why you're even wasting, I mean, quote unquote, wasting your time dating 
dating, but I say this all the time, there's a lid for every pot. And when you find your lid, it is an incredible feeling. So keep looking for your lid because you're because your lid is desperately looking for you too. Yeah. And I love this. Like, you know, we all have imperfections. None of us are perfect. So, you know, like I think the reframe of it is like letting someone into your life and Mm. all the imperfections that are there, allowing someone to kind of be along for that ride and you be along for the ride for them. That's like the greatest form of intimacy when you really think about it. It really is, isn't it? Yeah, when you're sharing an experience together, Mm -hmm. and then you get to create new experiences together. That's the ultimate form of connection. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, it's never that we want to wish circumstances on people like we talk about in this episode, um, Tiffany's disabilities came from a car accident, like we never want to wish those circumstances. Mm -hmm. But I do think having the heavy stuff does like build layers to your personality. And it goes much deeper than just the surface connection. So while it's never like a good thing that none of us want, you know, disabilities, but I think having that is just an extra dimension of someone that you can really learn to love like the full capacity of someone. And something kind of interesting about that, and you'll hear this in this episode, is that Tiffany has told her story a million times. And she's told her story to the point where she can remove her emotions Mm -hmm. from the story. And it is a very traumatic emotional story. And I think a lot of us, and maybe not to this degree, but we all have these stories that we retell on dates Mm -hmm. to the point where we remove our emotions from it too. It just becomes part of storytelling. And it does inspire me to retell my story differently now because you realize your story could have such a profound impact on the person you're telling it to, even though you've been saying this story for you know, the millionth time, it's the same thing to you, but it's new to someone else. So I think that's just something for us to keep in mind. Every time you go on a date and you tell your story, know that it's impactful and that you can retell the story a little bit differently each time. Yeah, we talk on this episode a lot about vulnerability. And I feel like vulnerability is the biggest buzzword. I'm actually kind of sick about hearing about vulnerability (laughs) because it's just this catch all phrase. And I feel like people don't even know what it means. And we kind of go into how sometimes you can relate trauma with vulnerability. And that isn't what it necessarily means to be vulnerable. Yeah. And you know, like, I think it's how you tell your story and how you connect with others is so important when it comes to dating and relationships. And that doesn't necessarily mean doing it in the ways that we think. And I think that Mm -hmm. is a really great discussion that I'm not going to go into too much more because we go way into it. There's different sides of the coin, I guess. Yes, yes, yes. I love that observation. I was at a music festival this weekend and maybe did a little drugs. But (laughs) um, the drugs made me realize something is that when we talk about vulnerability, we think it's about revealing. We have to reveal something about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And yes, that is part of vulnerability. But I realized that there's another side of the V word, which is listening. Mm -hmm. When you just sit and listen and not talk, that's also very vulnerable because it opens you up for reactions and judgment. So I think Also, it's okay to not talk and listen, and that puts you in a vulnerable state also. Mm -hmm. I think vulnerability can also just be letting someone into your life a little more. Mm. Like this weekend, I had the pleasure of introducing my boyfriend Ah. to my 
parents, which was a big step for me, but they were visiting. And, you know, I was a little nervous, I'll admit it, but I think it was really good. All said and done, it was really great. They all got along really well, but I think we both kind of walked away being like, we've seen a new side of each other and we've Mm -hmm. seen where, like, I really like sharing with him that where I've come from, you know, like Mm -hmm. that side of me that might be a little removed now that I don't live at home and I live across the country. And Mm -hmm. I think that's really nice. And there is a level of vulnerability of just inviting someone deeper into your life. Mm. And I think a lot of that doesn't necessarily mean it's trauma bonding, but it's just like simple things that invite that person in. I think meeting someone's parents is so telling, you know, you kind of sit there and you think, oh, that's where you got, you know, (laughs) I get it. That's why you are that way. Or that's why you have this characteristic. You're like, I see that the apple does not fall too far from the tree. (laughs) Exactly. We think the parents, I mean, we could do a whole podcast episode on that in itself, because I feel like people have such different views of the importance of meeting parents. Mm. Like I've had so many friends that are just like, yeah, I've introduced every single person I'm dating to my parents. It's not Mm -hmm. a big deal at all. And then I'm definitely someone that it's a it's a big deal. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not going to introduce every last person to my parents. So it's interesting how people swing so far on the spectrum of that one. I almost feel like it's hard to even know how much weight to give it because people view it so differently. Do your parents have unspoken rules of how... Oh, absolutely. How a boyfriend should act around them. And what are these unspoken rules? Absolutely. I think it's like one of those things that I was like, oh my God, I hope this goes well because of that. But it's it's hard to pinpoint what they are exactly. Yeah. But they're in my head of just like certain things that would not be great, you know? Yeah. Like my parents are sometimes they're like, well, he should really take that seat. And I'm like, why? I don't know. In their (laughs) mind, there's a reason why the seating chart and arrangement would be as is in their mind. But to me, it's just not intuitive. So sometimes I'm just crossing my fingers and hoping that chances are things will just go as planned in their mind. I don't know if my parents have like that rigid of rules, but I think they do have, you know, there's certain things that might be more judgmental. For instance, my brother, I did a FaceTime with my brother and my boyfriend, and we were talking about like meeting the parents. And my brother was like, yeah, like probably if you don't drink a lot, like it will go a long way. Oh, yeah. And my boyfriend was like, oh, yeah, now that I know that, I don't need to have a drink. So it's, I think it's like stuff like that that's more of the unwritten Mm -hmm. rules for mine. it's, I guess I would know the rules, but it's sometimes like I don't want to push someone to behave a certain way. But yeah. the other side of it is if you're setting them up for success, like why wouldn't you tell them? Like, you know? Right, right. Like if you know flowers are definitely going to go a long way, <laughs> then right. you tell them to bring flowers. Right. Like if it was the reverse situation with drinks, for instance, and my boyfriend's mother like didn't want me to do that, it's not that big a deal for me to have a drink or not have a drink. So I'd rather not have one, right? To make that Mm, impression. Well, I would love to hear from our listeners. Let's do a little call out. Maybe hashtag (laughs) meet the parents. Oh, I love it. Are there any unspoken rules that your parents have when it comes to your significant other meeting them? I would love to hear all of them. Just tag us on Instagram at Datable Podcast and then hashtag meeting the parents. (laughs) Let's see what happens. I feel like we need to make like a third. Was it? They already have a sequel. Meet the f- 
Fockers. Yeah. That one. Uh, meeting the Craft Chicks. Is that the, is <laughs> I that the third bit, I don't know if we're big installment. enough time to get <laughs> Well, you know, we were just talking about this, too, is that I have not met the Craft Chicks yet. I know. I, am, I haven't met the parents. I know, which is crazy. My parents are dying to meet UUA. I've met your parents. I have yes. had the luxury to meet the shoes. <laughs> they were quite adorable, must I say. <laughs> They're such cuties, and I can't wait to meet your parents. You have to tell me about the unspoken rules when it comes to friends yep. meeting them. Yeah. You know? okay. They were like, your parents were like, how's that radio show going? <laughs> oh, yeah. My parents still ask about you all the time. Oh. <laughs> They're like, how's Julie? Glad I made the impression that I did. <laughs> I like met one of my friend's parents in Boston when I lived there. And he still asks about me today, her dad, because we went fishing and I only caught like the tiny fish. And then that night for dinner, <laughs> like, you know, like the fish that they fish with, like not a real fish. It's like the bait for the fish. You're kidding That's what me. I caught. And I was super excited. He's like, that's not a fish. And then that night for dinner, we had chicken and he's like, could have had fish. <laughs> And he still asks about me all the time. Made oh. a lasting impression in that ca- in that canoe with our fishing equipment. Infamous Julie and her tiny fish. Yep. <laughs> it's funny how you like impact certain people at some point. But people do make an, a profound impact on you, some or a lasting impression. And we do the same thing with other people, and we tend to forget that. The most telling is when you have a friend introduce you to someone, and how they introduce you. It it surprises me every time how mm-hmm. someone introduces me because that's what they've pretty much put me in a bucket as Mm. and you know it's it's just interesting the impact you have on other people which is related to our question for this episode and also it's related to our interview later and the question is when it comes to early dating if you do have for example this person said I have high anxiety to the point where it become it becomes debilitating and dating does add to my anxiety at what point in early dating should I reveal this fact So, yeah, I mean, this is this is one of those topics where you have something that, you know, could be could impact the way you treat someone when it comes to dating. But is it too early to reveal, Mm -hmm. like, let's say on a first date or even in your dating profile? Uh, Personally, just from the receiving end, I've dated someone with high anxiety and I wish I had known from the very first date. Yeah, because you'll be able to explain. You'll understand where they're coming from. Yes. And not take it so personally. I think. Yes. Uh, I dated someone with so such high anxiety that they would then ignore me when their mm. anxiety hit. So I thought that they were playing games when they were just trying to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's, I can't explain that. I can't read minds. This person didn't tell me till after we broke up. But those are things that I, I think it's better to know up front. And you can come from a place of, like what we're saying with meeting the parents, set people up for success when it comes to right. dating. So if you want to be successful, successful at dating me, here are some things you should know. And Mm -hmm. I have high anxiety. I've been managing it for years. And when I see the symptoms of it, this is what happens. And this is how you can help me kind of manage it. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, I totally get that you might not want to be sharing all this personal information with every Mm -hmm. person on a dating app, especially in today's world where so often you never see this person again. I think that that's totally fair. And I don't think I think everyone it's at their discretion of when they want to share personal information. Mm -hmm. That being said, I agree with you of if it is getting in the way of your dating life with the sense that people are interpreting things that you're doing 
doing in ways that you don't want to, being transparent might actually prevent some of the people from, you know, turning over. Mm. Um, I think too, like maybe there is a certain level of intimacy that you get to. I think it's hard to say like a hard, fast rule of the number of dates. Like, I don't think that always translates. But I think if you really are connecting with someone, you could see it going somewhere. That might be the turning point of whether you decide to share this or not. I don't necessarily think you need to put this on your profile. I don't think it needs to be Mm, on the very first date. I think those should really be used to say like, is this someone I even want to spend any time with? That being said, if you feel like you need to cancel the date, for instance, because of anxiety, I think you could share that with someone. Mm. Or you could say like, hey, like, this has not, even if you're not willing, ready to say it's because of anxiety, even saying like, this has nothing to do with you, and then offering an alternative time. I think that makes all the difference. But just like fading off or ghosting because of it, that person's going to take it extremely personally. And it they're not going to think that it's because of like your anxiety. And they're just going to think that it's because they you don't like that people always, you know, by default, I think humans think about ourselves first, yep. for better or for worse. So again, it's setting yourself up for success. If you do want to see this person, make them feel like it really has nothing to do with them, even if you're not willing to like disclose all that's going on. Yeah, when you feel like you really like them, and you really don't want anything to get in the way in that early dating mm-hmm. stage, I think it's a great time to maybe say something along along the lines of, I've really enjoyed spending time with you. I look forward to spending more time with you. I just want to let you know of some things. And I don't want you to take it the wrong way if I were to act this way. Mm-hmm. I think the worst thing we can do is leave people hanging and then they make up stories and then you never know where that spirals to. So might as well just catch it before it happens and then be very truthful, but also coming from a place of love when you mm-hmm. when you do tell it. This was a great question. You know, mental health is, even though it's made such strides, I feel like there is still stigma that comes with disability in general. And I think having conversations like we're having today really helps break down that stigma. So I'm glad that, you know, we can address this question, Mm -hmm. but also dive into it much, much deeper in this episode. Absolutely. Okay, so a couple quick announcements. At Dateable Podcast is our Instagram handle. Make sure to follow us there. Love in the Time of Corona is our Facebook group. This is the public group. Just give us a little one-liner about why you're dateable so we know you're a real human being and that you listen to this podcast, and then we'll let you in. (laughs) (laughs) And then the sounding board is our premium community. We've had a lot of new members join lately, some really good office hours that UA and I hold that are monthly that people could bring their their questions. We had such a great session last week. Like I really left energized. I think people kind of, you know, have been in a little bit of a dating slump, felt energized as well. You know, whether it was like looking at the apps in a different light, we even went through like ideas of meeting more IRL, which, you know, is always 
because I think especially after being cooped up in COVID times is something that a lot of us are greatly, deeply desiring right this minute. So yeah, if you want to join the sounding board, we do the monthly chats with the two of us, but also there's weekly chats and video calls with our host team who are incredible and they're just great discussions. There's one about not taking rejection personally that had super high attendance. So really great ones coming up, especially as we go into the holiday season that always kind of brings things up for a lot of people. So datablepodcast.com slash sounding board. Make sure to go there first and sign up, and then we will let you into the secret Facebook group. That is the PSA. (laughs) And we've had so many new listeners join recently who've been curious about this Finding Your Person program that we launched a while ago. If you are one of those people who have been interested, you saw something that we posted a while ago, you can still sign up for the waitlist. It's findingyourperson.com. The program is currently closed, but there's a chance that we may open up the program again. Um, So just sign up for the waitlist so you get first dibs when we do open up the program again. Yes. Group live calls we've been having for those have been just so incredible. So incredible. I can like see the light bulbs going off. I love it. It's so great. (laughs) So great. We have great people in the program. Great people. Cool. So let's get into a couple of our sponsors now. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. It is no surprise Julie and I are huge fans of therapy, especially online therapy, and BetterHelp can do exactly just that. They match you with your own licensed therapist and connect you in a safe and private online environment. I was able to start communicating with my therapist in less than 48 hours hours super fast. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, and it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Their licensed professionals specialize in everything from stress management, uh, anxiety, trauma, dating, and grief. We at Dateable wish for all of you to live a happier, more wholesome life, and we think therapy and prioritizing your mental health will accomplish that. So as our listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash dateable. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E. Support for Datable is brought to you by Incipio. Incipio offers legendary protection for all of your devices from phones to AirPods to tablets. They obsess over their tech to protect yours. It's like Incipio's line of products was made for me because with their phone cases, my phone is protected from drops as high as 14 feet. The cases are also wireless charging compatible and there's a lifetime warranty. So they've got you covered. I have the Organic Core Clear Case, which is made up of 100% compostable materials that reduces landfill waste by naturally re-entering the environment from where it started. All the packaging is made out of 100% recyclable materials with eco-friendly water-based ink. Now for Datable listeners only, we have a special offer. These incredible cases are now available for purchase at incipio.com and you can use the code DATABLE for 20% off. That's I-N-C-I-P-I-O.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E for 20% off. Okay, let's hear it from Tiffany, all about dating with a disability. Well, thank you, Tiffany, for 
you know, being in our community, but also joining us for this conversation about disability and dating. And also, I guess we're talking about vulnerability and forced intimacy, <laughs> too. There are a lot of other topics related. But who is Tiffany? We get to know her a little bit better. She's 33 years old. She currently lives in San Francisco. She's originally from outside of D.C. And she is single and actively going on dates. Hello, Tiffany. Hello. How are you? So great to meet you. I've been like, I, I don't know if like fangirling is the right word, but... <laughs> <laughs> we we've been fangirling back. I think that's I think that is the right word. You've been so active in the community and just so insightful. Uh, so we're really honored to have you yes. with us to talk about this topic and a more expanded uh, biography of who Tiffany is. She is the CEO and founder of Diversibility and the founder of the Awesome Foundation Disability Chapter and the host of the Tiffany and You show, which is a social impact podcast. She serves on the San Francisco Mayor's Disability Council and appointed by San Francisco Mayor London Breed in 2019. Making me sound so good. <laughs> You're so impressive. <laughs> We're so excited to do this topic. So I feel like this has come up in the Facebook group a lot about just disabilities and various different types of disabilities that we'll get into. But before we do that, we'd love to just hear your story a little more about your disability and then what kind of got you in space. Sure. So I was not born a disability advocate. And most of us who become advocates, I think, come into this space because we have an experience that really makes us want to change the world. I guess I'll say that's my profound thought of the day. Mm. So I'm the first generation daughter of a Taiwanese immigrant and a refugee from the Vietnam War. And the reason why I think I'm on this podcast and in the world uh, at the age of nine over Thanksgiving weekend, my mom had to travel for a business trip. So my dad and a couple of my siblings went to go see her off at the airport. On the way home, he unfortunately lost control of the car and I sustained what I will call a, a plethora of different types of injuries. So I shattered a couple of bones in my left leg, the oh. tibia and my femur for those who have broken bones in their leg before. And I also permanently paralyzed one of my arms, my right arm, which was my dominant arm at the time. Wow. My dad also unfortunately passed away. And so uh, part of the reason why I talked about Thanksgiving is because that whole holiday and that weekend to me was supposed to be about gratitude and family. Mm. And this thing happened. Right. And I mentioned I was the daughter of Asian immigrants because I think that cultural context will come into play here, which is not only was the traumatic car accident seen as kind of like shameful and taboo, now I was visibly disabled and mm. I also lost my dad, which I did a little bit of research on this. And uh, in an old traditional way of thinking, if a spouse passed away, it meant that the living spouse was cursed or something. It meant like mm. ill fate on the whole family. And so I was really conditioned not to tell anyone about the car accident. My mm. mom told everyone my dad was away on a trip. Wow. I wore, lo I wore oh. long sleeves all the time. Not sure how that would make a difference. And if anyone knows Washington, D.C., I always joke about this. Washington, D.C., so in hot. the summer, yeah. so hot. <laughs> I'm wearing long sleeves. It makes no sense. But I was so ashamed of the way mm. that my body now looked. Mm. And I had no outlet for it. So uh, one other disability that I ended up realizing I had much later is post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. And I, I did want to bring that up because I feel like a lot of the conversations in the Facebook group are around people who have non-visible disabilities or who can technically mm -hmm. present as non-disabled. So I have both a visible and a non-visible 
aspect of disabilities that ended up coming out of this event. How does the PTSD manifest itself? Yeah. So I got diagnosed with so many things that are fascinating about this. So I actually think that part of what my mom modeled for me about not telling anyone about the car accident is actually Mm -hmm. what made me develop PTSD. Like if you don't Mm. allow your body to complete what we call like the stress response cycle, your trauma, you know, there's a book I love called The Body Keeps the Score. Trauma just gets stored in your body. You don't even know where. So, you know, Mm. rationally I thought, oh, my trauma is just where the injury was in my body. But, you know, trauma can be stored anywhere and sometimes it doesn't make sense. So I would say from 2017 until 2019, I got diagnosed in 2019. I was, I was very unwell. And for me, that manifested in really having emotional outbursts, just crying uncontrollably, Mm. doing seemingly random things, but they were actually all connected. Now they all make sense to me. Yeah, I was, I was a kid, nine. And so many things happened to my body that I couldn't comprehend. And I also want to share, so there's a 12-year period from 1997, which is when the car accident happened, until 2009, where I didn't tell anyone about the car accident. It was like my secret. Mm. But during that period of time, the number of acupuncturists, physical therapists, surgeons my mom brought me to was was just like a loss of childhood innocence in a way. Yeah. Uh, so with your arm, is it visibly noticeable or how does this show up for others potentially? Yeah. So I, um, and I don't know if you'll get like the video, I mean, but I mean, my hand, my hand looks diff- looks very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so my hand, I'll, I'll describe it for those who are listening. Not only is my hand, uh, one arm is shorter than the other. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I, I joke that I have like some remnants of like a nine-year-old arm in there. I mean, it grew a little bit, but yeah. when you don't have blood circulation, you don't have the same mm-hmm. bone density, right? It's all kind of connected. And then when I say I paralyzed my arm, what I mean is the injury is at the spinal cord. So even though it just looks mm. like it's the most severe at the hand, that means my shoulders develop differently. Mm. You know, the hand though is hyperextended at the knuckles. So I don't know what the best way is to, mm-hmm. is like when, when you make a fist, my, my knuckles are like the other way. So, mm. so yeah. So, so it is noticeable. And I will say that over the past couple of years, I now wear a splint on my injured arm to slow the hyperextension, but then also help stabilize the wrist. Right. Mm. So of course, this is a dating podcast. Yes, this is a dating podcast (laughs) and not a medical one. (laughs) (laughs) But we do want to hear like how this has played into your dating life. Yeah. So I feel like dating is my biggest growth area right now. I've done tons of self-work. It is Uh, Actually, I think it is my best trait is how (laughs) committed to my growth I am. Mm. But back in my early 20s, so I would consider myself like a little bit of a late bloomer. So I didn't have my first kiss until I was 20. And I didn't have my first boyfriend until I was 23. Mm -hmm. And one thing I want to highlight is, and one of the things I'm learning being entrenched in this disability advocacy world is that disability and sexuality is never really talked about that much. Mm, No. And Mm -mm. so because growing up, so much of my identity was shaped around, please figure out how to fix your arm, hide it from anyone, don't tell anyone about it. I like as a whole, I desexualized my whole body. Mm -hmm. I saw myself as like a product of the the acupuncturists and physical therapists and occupational therapists and these surgeons and all these other people. And and I actually think that's why, you know, you asked me, what did PTSD manifest and look like for me? I think there were all there were all these moments in those adolescent years where my body didn't feel like mine. 
Mm. So yeah, so desexualization, and there's a lot of infantilization of disabled bodies as well. And interestingly enough, even though mine is is only my arm, and you know, I also have a a non-visible aspect of disability, but the visible aspect, even though it's only my arm, it really like we can't we can't like decompartmentalize our body. It's like one body. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for a long period of time, I literally rejected my arm. I didn't want anyone to look at it or do anything. And then and as a result, I just rejected my whole body. Mm -hmm. So fast forward, 20 years old, first kiss, uh, 23 first boyfriend. And I was telling Julie this, but I would wait to tell people about my arm and the car accident. I'd wait until the fourth date. Fourth date. It was Why always the, the fourth, fourth date. date? <laughs> well, well, the first date is like you just get to know someone. And then the second date is, okay, well, the first one wasn't so bad. By the fourth date, you mm-hmm. probably like someone enough to right. be spending. And by the fourth date, probably you spend at least four hours together. So in a way, I almost, and you're getting like raw version of Tiffany right here. I felt like I would like, I like got them with my personality by the fourth date uh-huh. that like maybe then I could tell them about about mm. the car so, accident. But would it be noticeable beforehand to them or do you like hide it with the long sleeve shirts and all that stuff? Yeah, good question. I think I probably hid it unintentionally. Mm. I had a conversation with someone a couple years ago and they were like, Tiffany, what's interesting is we're sitting across the table from each other and you have your hands in your lap and I have my hands crossed on the table. She's like, look at these kind of unconscious things that you're doing because you conditioned yourself that you didn't want anyone to look at your hands. But at the same time, I I will say I've recently been reconnecting with people I went to high school with, which was about 15 years ago. And a lot of them are like, I had no idea about your arm. Wow. So these are people I saw at school every single day, right? right? Yeah. I was going to ask, did anybody ever mention anything in those first three dates or you were just so good at hiding (laughs) it? I was wow. so good. I was an I was an expert hider. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, maybe they probably noticed. I mean, one of the things I wrote my college essay about this. I wrote my college essay about stares and the fact that I knew mm. that people were staring at my arm, but no one ever said anything. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So you finally said something to them. <laughs> to your dates. Like, what was the reactions? The fourth date. The fourth date. <laughs> it was. You know, when you have those moments where you share something so vulnerable and you don't feel embraced in it afterward, I think that's Mm. how I felt. I honestly... I hate that feeling. Yeah. It's like we're vulnerable to try and be connected, and yet Mm -hmm. I feel more disconnected. Mm -hmm. Wow. Like you're doing a trust fall and nobody's there to catch you. Like, yeah. Do you think that's because of the way they met you? Or like, what do you think drove that? Or was it your internal stuff? I see you shaking your head. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I honestly, I think it was my own internal stuff. I mean, I was 23, you know, kind of that first foray of dating and, and trying to figure out where mm-hmm. this disability story fit into relationships. Uh, that was 10 years ago. I, I mean, I think I've definitely now it's the first thing on my profile. I have <laughs> pictures in my splint and show my arm. And yeah, I, I think I think the, the trust fall and not having anyone catch me was just me looking to reinforce how shameful, how ashamed mm-hmm. I felt my body. I see. Okay. It was more projected then. And what do you write in your dating profiles now? That's a good question. Well, now I'm the CEO of diversibility, which, mm-hmm. you know, is not a real word, but I, I, have <laughs> a, I, I have a line in there. I have a couple lines. First of all, it's in the pictures and it says like disability advocate and social impact entrepreneur. Okay. And then it says my work is trauma informed and unconventional. Please look us up. Smiley face mm. emoji. <laughs> 
<laughs> what type of messages like have you gotten from it? Like, is that the first thing people will talk about or will they just approach you like with like any other conversation? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing. So I I had the honor of giving a TED a TEDx talk in 2018. And that is like a 10 minute version of the car accident and things I've learned and how much I feel like I've grown. And so people who come across my profile and are mm-hmm. interested will find that that will likely be the first thing they see. If they watch it and they feel like it resonates with them, they'll say something about it. You know, I often joke that I feel like all the views for that from that TEDx talk are from my dating <laughs> profile. <laughs> You're like, thanks Tinder for my page views. <laughs> I know. But but I guess what I will say is I don't I don't want to feel shame about something that made me who I am. Yeah. And I feel like all of the hiding and the waiting I don't know that that's just not for me. I, I, I'm trying to think about like what I want to say there. Like if I feel like I had to wait to share mm-hmm. something so tra- transformative or so impactful in my life, that's not, they're not for me. Yeah. We say this, I mean, even people without disabilities, it's better to have less matches, but people that see you for you and want to date you than to have all these people and you're not being your authentic self. Right. Yeah. Maybe about five years ago, I went on a date with someone and they said, I don't feel comfortable with your arm. Oh, and wow. And I said, uh, I can't change yeah. my arm, you know, like, uh, like right. what do you want, what do I want to do? This is who I am. Yeah. Wait, so you had you talked about it at all before on this date or was this one in the phase of the four dates you'll disclose? That's a good question. This was 20. I mean, I, I, I remember my phases of dating very well because I had like a New York phase and then and then now I've had a San Francisco phase. I will say one thing that has changed is... I feel like I realized that I'm attractive to certain people. Mm-hmm. And and what I mean by that is because I was like in this disabled body, I just assumed I was ugly. Mm. So I felt like by waiting to the four dates, I was like trying to convince someone that I was like worth it. And now I'm just like, I'm at like the peak of my attractiveness right now. Like here, like this is, take it off. Yeah. <laughs> take it take off. advantage. I mean, not really take advantage. <laughs> take but advantage. <laughs> know what you're working with. Well, so I want to go through your journey a little bit because you went from being so shameful and basically a magician mm-hmm. of hiding your disability or disabilities if we want to um I mean, there's, we can all go into the layers of disabilities that we all carry as well. When did you make that shift from shameful mm-hmm. to now being very confident and unapologetically who you are? Yeah, it actually happened with my second boyfriend. Oh. So my first boyfriend, I didn't meet through the apps. And then my second boyfriend, I also didn't meet through the app. So my second boyfriend, I met through a social impact network of okay. young, of mm-hmm. under 30s. And, and so he was already familiar with my work and everyone that I met through the social impact network. Okay. And we were together for a year and a half, which for me in San Francisco time feels like a bajillion years. Mm -hmm. But he was like the most attractive man I thought I had ever dated. Uh And he saw my body as beautiful, the whole Mm -hmm. thing. And I honestly, I couldn't believe that he was with me. You know, how like, I don't know, whatever insecurities I had. But it was in that period of time where I was like, if all he sees is perfect to him, mm-hmm. then that's within me too. Right. And and I feel I feel a little embarrassed that I have to like point to some external person who's not actively in my life anymore to say like that's what that's what created the shift for me. Yeah. But then I was like, if I can date this attractive man, I'm attractive. So I'm gonna go out and date other people I think are attractive like me. <laughs> 
I totally hear what you're saying. I remember we us talking about this on the body image episode we did a couple seasons ago. And it was a similar thing. It's like, I want to feel that internal validation. But sometimes mm-hmm. it does take hearing it from someone, especially in a dating context when you feel like desexualized because of mm. where you are. So I totally like relate to that. I mean, I've heard it in other contexts as well. The internal validation is something that you learn. And the, my question is, where do you start? If you didn't yeah. grow up in an environment where you can learn that, of course, we're all going to look for external validation. So mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense. But how did you come out of that relationship? Did you feel like a whole new person? So the other thing <laughs> I learned in that relationship was I feel like given what happened to my body, what happened in my family as a kid, I have a complex relationship with safety. Mm. And being in that relationship is the first time I felt safe. And I remember talking to my therapist. We always have to bring therapy into this. I talked to my therapist and she <laughs> goes, course. she goes, that must have been a really hard thing to walk away from because mm. not only did he he show you beauty, which was you, he also showed you what it felt like to really feel like you could take your armor off, that I could take my, you know, long sleeves during DC summers off. (laughs) And so I gave myself, you know, I think it's the sex in the city. It says that it takes like half the amount of time you were together to like (laughs) get over the relationship. Yeah. I gave myself the full time. So we were together a year and a half. I gave myself nine months to Mm -hmm. fall in love with myself again. And I will say, and so that was at the end of 2018. So since the end of 2018, I have actively been on this journey to continue to fall in love with myself again, over and over and over again. Got it. Yeah. I mean, that's great to hear. Uh, What about like your first relationship? You you were in your mind, you felt very unsexualized, a late bloomer. Like, how did you get to even meet your first boyfriend? Like, how did that you get over the hump to even start dating? So it wasn't that I never had suitors. Okay. (laughs) I'm reminded of, uh, I read a book when I was in high school called Beowulf, which probably all of us read. There was something about Beowulf that was about putting up walls, some quote in there. And I always related it to my dating life. So I'd, I want to share just a really quick story. In fourth grade, and he knows this. Hey, Justin. In fourth grade, <laughs> I, I had the biggest crush on this guy named Justin. And he ended up writing me a handwritten letter saying that he liked me too. Mm. At which point I tore it up into a million pieces and gave it to my best friend because, I don't know, we were like mean girls or something. And I was like, I can date back my anti-relationship things Mm. to back to fourth grade, newly disabled at that particular point in time. I like someone. I had the hugest crush on them. And then they told me they like me. And then I was like, nope. And actually, Mm -hmm. maybe you probably see this pattern a lot with different people who come into your show. Yeah. And so I repeated that pattern over and over again. I can tell Mm. you, you know, the summer after my freshman year, really attractive. I was learning Chinese at the time. We did like like a language program and there was some other guy and he liked me. And I said, I'm only here for the program. And then, you know, Mm. that was the end of our. So it's like the fears, like the fears of being seen, the fears of getting hurt from it is probably protecting yourself. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. so 23, what ended up happening was I was working, my background's unsurprising or unsurprising. I started my career in investment banking Okay. Hmm. and I was at Goldman and my first boyfriend worked at UBS and we were co-banks on on a deal together. So we were always on the phone and he ended up sem- sending me a text 
And the text said, hey, I really like you. There's this restaurant I really like. Do you want to go try it with me? And so actually, we went to the dinner. And because I worked in a male-dominated environment, mm. I like did not read any signs because I go and grab mm-hmm. dinner with my male colleagues all the time. Right. So then after the dinner, he said, I had a really good time at dinner. You know, I like you and would love to see if this can go anywhere. Oh. And I remember seeing that text. And the first thing that came into my mind was, this is a bad idea. Mm. I think I had conditioned myself into building that wall. Mm. And so I challenged myself and I said, let me just remind myself to have fun. And when it stops being fun, I'll walk away from it. What I loved about that relationship is that we, first of all, the meet cute, you know, which I know mm-hmm. we should not like, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I love the way that we met. But we also just grew into the relationship together. I think we had never, neither of us had had a serious relationship up until that mm-hmm. point. We lost our virginity to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, and honestly, I mean, one of the things I'm like working through therapy is what I call like fantasy attachment which maybe mm. you're familiar with, which oh, is yeah. I meet someone and I'm like, here's our whole life Project together. The For whole sure. Thing. Yep. Yep. I want to bring up that and like anxious attachment style because I think that this car accident just made me so fearful of, yeah, I don't know what it made me fearful of. It, it just made me fearful to get close to anyone because mm-hmm. I would just end up getting hurt. Right. Let's hold that thought and take a quick break for some messages. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to viahemp.com and use a code DATABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's viahemp.com and use a code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from Via Hemp. This episode is made possible by Armoire. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out. Listen, I live in Southern California. There is absolutely no need for puffer coats or any sort of those winter jackets. But when I travel anywhere else in the world in these cold months, I'm often burdened with the task of getting winter clothes. And now with Armoire, I can just rent my winter wardrobe. It's brilliant. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash datable. That is armoire.style spelled A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E to get up to 50% off your 
first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. (laughs) Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. When she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? (laughs) And maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So it sounds like like some of the earlier relationships you had kind of developed more organically over time because you got to know the people, you were in situations where you kind of formed that bond. What has your experience been with dating apps? Like have where it's a mm-hmm. bit more superficial, right? Like dating apps are known to be that way. Have you met people off of that or has it been a bigger challenge? Yeah, I will say I was telling Julie, I just got back from Tulsa and I went on a Bumble date in Tulsa. Cool. Um, so I... <laughs> I do not think, yeah, and maybe I'm a little too confident, but but I really internalized that relationship that I had from 2017 and 2018, mm-hmm. which is, and, and I also, I dated a guy, just went on like three dates with him at the beginning of 20, at the end of 2017, or sorry, beginning of 2017. And we have stayed friends and now he's engaged and, and getting married soon, but we've stayed in touch. And one thing that he told me is he, I remember like on our last date together, he was like, Tiffany... I don't think you're dating people at your level. Mm. And I never forgot that he said that. And I actually still, I mean, now we've known each other, what, for four years now? And I bring that back to him and I go, I'm never going to find anyone. He's like, I don't believe that. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, we met through the apps and then... um, that's great like, to have someone like that in yeah, your corner. I know, he, but he but he called me out because I yeah. in 2017 I thought I was ugly. Right, um, you know, like I'm not ugly. None of us are ugly to someone. Right. Sorry, what right. am I saying? Did I say that correctly? The yeah, right like, there's a lid for every lid pot, for every right? Pot. Correct. So, um, so with the online dating, honestly, as a woman in San Francisco, I feel I feel a little overwhelmed by it. Okay. Um, and so right now I'm in what I call like the fun and light phase. I mean, I, I you mentioned we were going to talk about like forced intimacy. But uh, since August, I've been challenging, my, challenging myself to go on 20 dates by the end of the year, which ended up coming out to like one date a week. And it didn't all need to okay. be first dates. I think one of the things I'm learning is that because I know that dating is my biggest growth area, I'll go through periods of time where I feel great about Honestly, outside of relationship, I feel great about myself. Right. I think my work mm-hmm. is super meaningful. 
I feel the most fit and well. Your cup is full. Yeah. Now, now that I'm in a phase where I'm open about my disability, I, I have been actively kind of like looking for the areas that I feel like I have shame in and trying to do that work on my own, the self work, you know, going to a therapist and trying to figure out mm-hmm. what are at the roots of that or to be more aware of when those things come up. So, you know, one, I'll share one last thing, which is you brought up how PTSD manifested and mm-hmm. PTSD makes me super anxious. Mm-hmm. And I call my anxiety like a guest in my house. And sometimes mm-hmm. my guest in my house books an Airbnb for multiple months at a time. Mm-hmm. Now I'm learning to say, is this anxiety or is this Tiffany? You know, mm-hmm. um, when I try to like DTR to define the relationship like too early on, I'm like, is this anxiety or is this Tiffany? You know, so, um, so yeah, I think all of this comes back to like the level of work that I feel like I've done on myself. What do you think is, let me see how I can phrase this question a little bit. There are a few of my friends who have either a disability or they have mental disability where, mm-hmm. you know, depression or I know someone who's bipolar who feels that when they start dating someone new, what gives them the most anxiety is re-explaining themselves from the beginning, telling the story mm. and revisiting that story every time. And I can imagine in your case, revisiting that accident every time when you get to that fourth date. How do you cope with that, I guess? And how do you make it not so daunting? First mm. date now, right? Fourth date was in the past. <laughs> or, or or maybe not at all. So I, okay. uh, I'll, I'll explain this a couple different ways for, for both of you and for your listeners. So there's a difference between retelling a story versus reliving it. Mm, and okay. so reliving a story means you're going into the depths of that pain. Maybe there's some room for healing. Retelling a story is is here's something that happened and I attribute some emotion to or I've done some work where I can share it without without being transported back to mm. a place that isn't my current space. Mm. So the way I explain this best is I have a 20 minute version of the car accident, which is what ended up showing up on the fourth date. And I have a one sentence version, which is, hey, I got into a car accident, my arms paralyzed. Mm. Like literally that's all I say. It's hard because I like do this work full time and I have to share the context, which is the car accident a lot. But I I can now see the difference between Mm -hmm. when I was reliving, going into the depths of that pain versus retelling. And the 20 minute version had all the details, took you in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the one sentence, I mean, when I told you that one sentence, you were like, cool, you know? Right. right. I, I, I do want to share one last thing to hopefully help depict this a little bit is I want to talk a little bit briefly on the edge of grief and trauma. Okay. And a friend came out, Alyssa Zapersky, she came out with like a blog post about grief and trauma. And one of the things she said in her post was that her grief and her trauma were so intertwined with each other that she couldn't experience grief without re-experiencing trauma. Hmm. And so a lot of the work that she did in therapy was detangling them. So I think grief is beautiful. I see lots of gifts in it, but I've been able to untangle my grief around everything that I lost with a car accident from trauma, which you know I've done a lot of healing work around. Mm-hmm. That's a really mm-hmm. good distinction. I'm 
am curious because like I know there is more, correct me if like this is a misstatement, but there are like four major types of special needs categories. The physical, which relates to your arm more, developmental, behavioral, emotional, which could tie back to PTSD, and then sensory impaired. Is that kind of an accurate statement of categories? And like, how do you view this? And like, I know you work with a lot of people that are disabled. Like, how do you see challenges showing up for people based on where they fall on the spectrum? Yeah, you know, what's interesting is I I haven't categorized it like that because many of us who have disabilities have what we call core comorbidities, mm, which means that. like I haven't categorized disability in that way because a lot of us have what I call comorbidities, okay. which means that I lead with the fact that I have a paralyzed arm, but I, I could probably argue that the fact that I live with PTSD impacts me more on a daily basis than the fact mm. that I can't use one of my arms. And there's a stat out there that says for people who have non-mental health disabilities, for people who are disabled, who have non-mental health disabilities, experience mental health distress five times those who don't. Mm. And so what this all comes back to is it is really hard to live in a society that has told us that bodies should look a certain way, that our minds should operate a certain way. Mm-hmm. And anything that deviates from that is seen as not normal, right. is not celebrated, should be hidden. And I think to carry around, I guess I'll call it like disability shame, disability trauma for that long is going to is gonna impact how we, how we show up in relationships. Well, I think mm-hmm. a lot, like with especially mental health, I think there's a lot of stigmas there that, you know, like... Like you need to be in a good place before you can even start dating and have relationships. And good place kind of goes back to what you were saying of what is like this kind of like the societal expectation that there's no challenges. Like how have you kind of seen people emerge when they have, you know, a disability? Like we talked about earlier, it sounds like overall you've got into a good mindset. You've, you know, been forthcoming on apps and you don't it doesn't sound like you have that much challenge dating like it sounds like you have a a, at least I don't want to say no challenges but no not like noticeably necessarily more than another person without like a disability because like you have a steady stream of prospects at least on that level (laughs) (laughs) what I mean one thing I'll share is sometimes I get the question like Tiffany have you ever dated someone disabled Mm -hmm. and I'm like well the last person I dated had ADHD and anxiety and the person before that had something called GERD, which I think mm-hmm. is like a stomach thing. Yeah. Then one of them had BPD, which is borderline personality disorder. And then someone had um, had anxiety to the point that they couldn't get out of bed. And so I think that more people are disabled than you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. About about 70% of disabilities are non-visible. And so what's funny is I tell them, actually, everyone that I've dated has had a disability. And they're like, no, I mean really disabled. And then I'm like, well, those are categorized as disabilities. Yes. So what So what do you mean really disabled? You know, so I think my last boyfriend, he was like, I don't really think of you as disabled. And, you know, I do this work. And so part of me is, is getting curious about what stereotypes are you attributing to a disability experience that I don't fit, right? right? I mean, I think having an arm that looks different from my other arm that I can't use is pretty classic disability. But are you assuming that I need to not have a job or need to be super insecure or need to think that my life is is tragic, you know? So I love that we're having this conversation, but I also just think that disability is part of the human experience. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll share two other things, which is like, 
I look at the people that I've dated who, you know, share their disability stories with me. And I wish they didn't feel that disability was so stigmatized that they could go around and share that aspect of themselves with other people. Yeah. And I think that plays into dating because I think instead of saying as a disability, we're differently abled. I mean, we Mm -hmm. really are. And we just assume everybody is abled in the way that we are. But I've had friends tell me that People kind of assume my friend who has a hearing disability says when she talks about her disability, some people would assume that you're disabled because you're solely dependent on someone else. Like you cannot be independent on your own. So it's almost a surprise to meet someone who considers themselves disabled and be fully independent and functioning. So this is a a good way for us to refresh our perspective on disabilities Mm -hmm. because we all have the stereotype of what a disability is. Yeah. Tiffany, being Asian, I mean, in China, you don't see disabled people anywhere because they're hidden. They're hidden. There are a ton of people in wheelchairs. They're not allowed in public because it's so stigmatized. So families end up raising their kids for for their entire lifetime inside an enclosed space. So there's so much shame. And but also for the kids who are raised in that kind of environment, you just assume disability doesn't exist. You're like, oh, everybody's able-bodied. So we need to understand that disability are prevalent, but we're just differently abled and we have to see each other that way. Yeah. I mean, I would I would challenge that a little bit to say that some of us have disabilities and some of us don't. And I think what you're really trying to say is that all of us have insecurities and we are attributing mm. potentially a disability experience with, oh, you should feel insecure or you should feel ashamed of that, right? And, mm. so, and so we all have things that we have shame around. We all have things that we have insecurities around. But yeah, I have disabilities and there are certain people who don't have disabilities and that's okay. Because I, right. I I think I also want to name and I don't want to wear my disability advocacy hat too hard on this podcast because it's about dating. But I think that when we say that all of us have different abilities, we actually diminish the fact yeah. that those of us who do have visible disabilities face additional layer of shame and stigma around the way that the world sees us. Absolutely. Um, Thank you for checking me on that. I appreciate I, it. I appreciate you letting me call you out or call you in on that. But but I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think back to that guy that I went on a couple dates with who came back to me. This is probably circa 2016. And he goes, I don't feel comfortable with your arm. Right. Mm-hmm. First of all, kudos to him for vocalizing. I think that's the level of transparency that we should probably have rather mm-hmm. than, you know, like... I don't know. This is, I have friends who have either more visible disabilities than mine, mm-hmm. or you could consider them more severe disabilities than mine, who really have seen ableism at its worst in dating, right? Because with the apps, yeah. it's, you're making yeah. judgments about someone's pictures. Well, that's what I was kind of trying to get at with you, not to say that you have like a walk in the park with dating, but like it sounds like you have prospects where I think like there is a stigma and stereotype that maybe you're not even getting matches if you're in a disabled state. So mm-hmm. I was curious if like people that are like showing up more be like when you when you do kind of like think about what is a disability, I think of wheelchair, whether that's right or wrong. Mm-hmm. But that's what I think of. And I know it, this is your story, but I know you work with a lot of people with disabilities. Like what has been some of those experiences? So, so hard and really heartbreaking. Mm. I think that I mean, I don't I don't even know where to start. Unfortunately, it's. It's hard. We all have a, we're all common in our desire for human connection. Right. And yet some of us are stripped of that experience just because of the way we look. And so one, one of the things I remind people of um, within my community is the most 
and very cliche, but like the most important relationship you can have is with yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even even with this dating, I mean, I don't have that many prospects. I, I want to like manage expectations <laughs> here, but um, but I do I do remind myself when things don't work out or I find my anxiety getting the best of me, and like it's hard. I'm 33 and I'm single, and I feel like I've got a great job and I've got a great home, and you know I want to plan for the next phase of my life, but right. you know haven't haven't really found like I'm not 26 anymore. I guess I want to say, and and that's starting to hit me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because most of my friends are coupled up or, you know, had their pandemic babies. But I, I think that I just remind myself of like, what are all the things that I like about myself? Right. And there's a Netflix special, and maybe you talked about this on an episode called Jigsaw with Daniel Sloss about how we shouldn't be ma- we should be making being single as celebrated as being coupled. Mm-hmm. And I try to think, I mean, I do think that ultimately I would like to be coupled. I will say that sometimes if I feel too much societal pressure, and by societal pressure, I mean my mom, (laughs) um, (laughs) putting pressure on me asking, you know, when am I going to get married? I show up differently in dating. I show up with a level of desperation that's not who I am, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. I think the last area I definitely want to dive into is this part about vulnerability. Yeah. Because in a way, having to disclose this forces you to be vulnerable. How have you seen this like help and hurt your dating life? Yeah. So I would say I feel very open about my disability in a way that when I share, people feel like it seems very vulnerable. But for me, all of my work is centered around this. And so it's really trying to manage that while that's not vulnerable for me, that could be a lot for other people. And so this Mm. is something, this is what I ended up putting in our, in the Facebook group and we can direct your listeners to go to the, uh, to go to the Facebook group to check it out. But my therapist, therapy is great. And, uh, yes, it is. (laughs) And, and she came to me. So interestingly enough, I have known that dating is my growth area for a long time. And one of the things that she and I are working on is the only way we know where I have room to grow is that I need to date. And I will Mm -hmm. go through periods of time where I'm like, but outside of dating, I just like, like myself. Like, why would I put myself through that emotional roller coaster? So I've been dating more and updating her. And she came back to me and she goes, Tiffany, she's like, I think you might feel like you're being authentic when you share as much as you do early on in dating, but it could be overwhelming for other people. Mm -hmm. And in talking with the others in the Facebook group, I now use the term weaponizing vulnerability in terms of saying, let me share all this stuff and will you please still choose me? Right. Rather Hmm. than saying, let me share all this stuff because I choose myself. Right. Right. Well, we definitely have talked about this before. There's a difference between vulnerability and trauma dump and not saying that you're trauma dumping, but I think some people like associate vulnerability with going real deep where it can be as simple as just putting yourself on the line a little and like saying you had a good time on the date or asking that person out again. And I think we think of it as this declaration of all the stuff going on with us where that might be a lot for early stage dating. I know for me, the date that I've gotten ghosted after has been when I got into this like deep life story type of date and the ones that have progressed better is when things started off a little lighter and then more naturally got to a deeper state. Yeah, I I think I think we all know this, but my therapist said, Tiffany, the beginning of dating should be fun. 
Yep. And mm-hmm. I think that a combination of whether it was my anxious attachment tendency, tendencies coming out, whether it was fantasy attachment, whether it was, I call it forced intimacy, trying to like force a relationship sooner rather than letting it grow. So I will say since I've had this August challenge of trying to do these 20 dates by the end of the year, I honestly love the way I've been showing up. I understand the difference between what is my anxiety coming to the forefront and wanting to dump stuff versus what is Tiffany actually, you know, sitting in the fact and reminding myself that I like myself, but here's what I want to tell this other person. I had a great time on the date or I'd like to see you again, you know, like that mm-hmm. that level of vulnerability. So what advice would you give to people who may be in a similar situation where they want to talk about their story in the beginning, but they also want to be cognizant of how other people receive their story? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I would say two things. One is it is unreal the amount of work I've done on myself mm. and I'm still going. And this is outside of a relationship. I remember on my profile where a lot of people will put like, I really value or find like self-awareness really attractive. I find mm-hmm. self-awareness attractive, but it's one thing to be aware, but I also need you to do the work on yourself. For sure. What was that quote someone posted in our group that was like, assholes, self-aware assholes are still assholes? <laughs> Which is so true, right? So is. Okay, so I'm reading this from a pamphlet on historical racial trauma, but I will also translate this to disability trauma. So I will say disability trauma is the mental and emotional injury caused by direct or indirect encounters with ableism. This is due to the structural, institutional, and systemic injustices and suffering wrought from white supremacy. Disabled people may experience symptoms that include depression, anger, recurring thoughts, physical reactions like headaches, etc., etc. So disability trauma is a real thing. We are living in a society that has told disabled people because of ableism that our bodies and our minds, something is not normal about them and something about us is broken and needs to be fixed. If you feel like you have some of that, right, and you talked a little bit about like trauma dumping, I hope that you can get the support that you need outside of a relationship, right? So Mm -hmm. then it doesn't become codependent. So that's number one piece of advice is I think all of us have work and healing to do. And if you are finding that you have a little bit of shame around something, there might be some, some digging to uncover. The second thing I'll say is just remember that you are valuable and worthy just because you exist. And you would not be on this earth, in this world, if your body and mind were not supposed to be the way it is. And these are kind of the messages that I remind myself of before I go out on dates, because it's it's hard to let someone in. Yeah. So so those are my two pieces of advice. I don't know if that's helpful, but I, I think those two things have been really, really helpful for me. And lastly, like what advice would you have for someone that, you know, meets someone that's disabled? Like, like how is like a good way to be met when you share something like this? That's a great question. I've dated people before who I felt like did a really great job of making space for my anxiety mm-hmm. because UA, UA, like most of the examples that you shared with me of your disabled friends were bipolar, were more of these mental health disabilities, which can fluctuate in how they show up in relationship versus mm-hmm. my arm is paralyzed on the first date and my arm is paralyzed on the 15th date. There's not right. much, that much changing. So um, I, I want to address this question from a mental health disability perspective, which is I think it's really important to find someone who is able to make space for your emotions. Mm -hmm. And I've dated people who I felt like did a really great job of that. 
And then I've also dated people who I felt like couldn't make space for that. Mm. And uh, and those latter people might not be the right people for me. Can you expand on people who couldn't make space for that? What does that look like? Who could not make space for me? Correct. So I am the type of person, and actually I, I've changed a little, so I'll tell you the before and after. So before I thought it was really authentic of me to vocalize every single anxious thought that I had. And I apologize to anyone I dated who let me do that. And um, and now what I'm realizing is when I notice I'm having a period of more elevated anxiety, I turn to a group of women that I have met during the pandemic that I call like my anxiety support group. Mm-hmm. And so I don't I know that's not super helpful, but what I was doing was I think I was putting too much emotional weight, yeah. emotional burden, I would call it, onto one person. And now I'm realizing there's a reason why we call it like a web of support or a support system. Is there need to be other people, other safe people, I hope that I can go to, whether it's my therapist or this women's support group that I can turn to rather than saying, You man are the one and I'm heterosexual, you man are the one who needs to hold this container for for all parts. Parts of me. So I don't know if that's necessarily the best answer for you, but I am learning that in the past, I think I put so much emotional expectation on my partner. It, as the partner, how can we identify when we are not creating space for our partner's trauma? You know what I mean? Like, how do we recognize that we're not doing that? Yeah, because I think it's like definitely on you to own some of it, but also you want to find a partner that can meet you too. Yep. Yeah, we. I guess we'll circle back. I always like circling back to the trust fall. Do I feel like I'm held or sorry for you? I feel like I keep coming back to me. I keep centering myself. It is hard to say. So I, I give a lot of workshops around like disability allyship and how we can be better allies in the workplace. And people often come to me and they were like, how do we know we've done a good job? And I'm like, go ask your disabled employees. Do they feel psychologically safe? Right. right. And so in the context of this, you know, how I talked about like the trust fall and not being caught is do you as the partner feel like you're catching your partner in that trust fall? Mm-hmm. And and that's a really personal thing between the two of you because I feel like, I mean, and now I've been doing disability advocacy work for 12 years. I've told some version of the car accident so many different times. And there are instances where afterward I feel really exposed. And then there are other instances where mm-hmm. it's the same exact talk and I feel really embraced. Like I mm. often describe like my ideal relationship as a warm hug. And, you know, it's both the figurative and the literal of the warm hug, but not only is there the warmth of another human being, but like being embraced, being held in that space. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this is a great transition to takeaways. This has been an incredible conversation. I think the biggest takeaway I have is, you know, so much of it comes down to like how we see ourselves and not to diminish anyone's like trauma and past experiences. But I think just seeing your evolution of how you, you know, were in a place of shame versus in a place of self-love is so powerful to people. And I think, and again, not to diminish like disability over other aspects, but I think a, a lot of us hold something that we're ashamed of when it comes to dating. And it is important to know that you're beautiful or attractive to someone out there. I think with society, there is just universal stereotypes of who is dateable. And that just simply is not true. And I think mm-hmm. we need to remember that as we date that, you know, someone out there wants to date us too. And we have a lot to offer and we should never feel like we're desexualized or not enough. And I think that is so important as you date, no matter the situation you're in. Yeah. And 
I guess my biggest takeaway is from sort of when Tiffany called me in, I realized a lot of times I feel like with vulnerability and connection is I try to relate. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people do this. You try to relate to the situation, but that also minimizes the experience. So it's sometimes better to just listen to the experience and not putting yourself at the center of that experience. And this brought up a little bit of trauma for me during the Asian hate crimes, because I had a lot of my white coworkers tell me about their similar experiences were nothing like mine, and it made me feel less connected to them. So sometimes in dating, we just have to just listen and Mm -hmm. learn. And that's a source of the vulnerability in that. I also feel like another takeaway is they're just, we just have to see everybody as just part of a rainbow. I mean, there's just no one way of looking at people. And so the more open-minded we can go into dating, the more fun surprises we discover and the more lighthearted and fun dating can be. Because you know, we always have this mold of how someone should be, especially with online dating. We have an idea and we right. get to that date and they don't fit that mold and it gives you anxiety and you're disappointed. That's what's the cause of that those negative feelings. So we just stay open minded and be and be welcoming of the fun surprises. It'll just be so much more enjoyable. Tiffany, is there anything you want to add? Just I know you live and breathe this stuff, but from this conversation or any counter to any of our takeaways? Yeah, this was this was so fun. I just want to share one last tidbit, which is I went on a first date with a guy from Hinge. And after the first date, I sent him a note. I said, hey, you know, thanks so much for making the time. I'm not really seeing us dating from here. And he came back to me and said, thanks for wasting my time. I know I should have followed my instincts and something else. And I thought about like, whoa, isn't our first date like supposed to be fun? And this guy's (laughs) like angry that he wasted time. So I guess my takeaway, and I don't know if that story related to anything we talked about in the episode, but for me, none of this is time wasted. I think Mm -hmm. about, um, and and I think about time and I think about how much not only time has passed since the car accident, but I have a saying that time doesn't heal all wounds. It's time mm. plus work heals mm. heals some wounds. Yep. And so I love that we had this conversation about dating and disability, but what I really think this conversation was about was more about dating and things that we feel shame around or things that we feel insecurity about. Yep. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. potentially doing the work that we need to do there. Mm-hmm. Just out of curiosity, you said there were you had other siblings in the car with you. Uh, did any of them sustain any injuries? So I always get this question, which is, is everyone else okay? And then I was like, well, what does okay mean? Um, so right. no, so none of them have visible disabilities. Oh, okay. My uh, One of my brothers and my sister were also in the car. And this is no secret. I've talked about this before. My brother is maybe the angriest person that I know. It's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. He has not harmed me or you know, hopefully not anyone else, but the violence in the way he, when his temper does flare. One thing I want to highlight, and Yue, you might be able to relate to this, is we've never talked about the car accident as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, it happened. Wow. And then suppressed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, I talked to my therapist about this, and I was telling my therapist about my mom, who my mom is amazing because she'd raised four kids on her own after my dad passed. Yeah. But the fact that she has suppressed so much is so different from me, 
who's like, right. where's the new, where's the new window I can open? And, and that's okay. I think I just remind myself that everyone heals in different ways. And mm-hmm, as long yeah. as they're not harming themselves or other people, I just have to accept that, that that's okay. So, so yeah, my sister now has two little ones. I'm an auntie times two. Oh, yay. And yeah, my brother, my brother's just my brother. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's a good takeaway too, is that disabilities show up in different ways. And yeah. I think what we, the stereotypes of what we think are a disability are not like the extent of it. We just never know what people are going through. So especially on early dates, when people don't necessarily share all, I think a lot of times we take things personally, but we have really no idea what's going on for this other person. And yeah, I think this, I think part of it with what you shared with your mom is some of it's generational too, that Mm -hmm. we live in a world where therapy is a lot more accessible. It's a lot destigmatized. So I think mental health in general in our age, in our era is, you know, more celebrated. And I think that's a great thing because it does help people come to terms with things. Yeah. And one thing I was joking with Julie about is I referenced the 36 questions to fall in love with anyone. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I exist at level three. And I actually feel like this conversation on the Dateable podcast was a level three conversation. But I'm reminding <laughs> myself that in early dates, I should stay at level one or level two. So thank you for entertaining me and letting me be at a level at a level three <laughs> for this conversation. <laughs> I didn't course. even know there were different levels. Yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. can't be at a level three on Dateable podcast, what are we doing? Yeah, what are we doing? We- <laughs> I quit. It's over. Uh, Thanks again, Tiffany, for sharing your experience and your journey and your story with us. And, you know, this is the point of this podcast is we want to share all these different perspectives and stories um, so that we can see how vast this world is and how different people can be, but also how similar we can all be too. Mm -hmm. So we're going to wrap this up. I just want to do one last, you know, a little nudge for everyone out there. It really makes us happy when you give us five stars in Apple Podcasts and give us a nice little sentence or two about why you love us because we love you. So let's share that that love back and forth. And then also we, you know, reference our Facebook group. So our Facebook group is called Love in the Time of Corona. Okay. And Tiffany, for anyone that wants to learn more about you, can you kind of share how people can learn more, get in touch, all the things? Of course. Yeah. You can find me across the social medias at I'm Tiffany (laughs) U. That's the letter I, the letter M, followed by my first and last name. Awesome. Wonderful. So we're going to wrap this up. Stay Stay Dateable. dateable. (laughs) The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag Stay Dateable and trust us, we look at all those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, 
and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.